Hey, this is Brandon Emma Richardson, and we are the pastors here at Slate Church based in Waterloo, Ontario, and this is our Sunday podcast. We really hope this message inspires you to lean into all that God has for you. If you would like to get connected with us, follow us on social media or go to slatechurch.com. And hey, it helps us a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. Join us for today's message. All right. Well, everybody, yeah, um, for those of you that don't know what Heart for the House is, it's our one time in the year where we give above and beyond our regular giving um, to the work here at Slate Church and all that God is doing. And really, it's a pretty broad ask just to all the things that we feel God calling us into. Um, we kind of highlighted three specific things. We believe we're supposed to be um, educating pastors and missionaries, sending them out, um, even just being involved in education in a variety of ways as a church. We believe we're supposed to be a part of the renewal of the church in Ontario, which is just blessing other churches and coming alongside them, whether that's through training or giving or whatever else it might be, helping hold on to buildings in the community. And then the final one was to build a healthy local church. And um, there's a variety of different ways that we want to commit to doing that this year. One of those is actually stewarding the property that we purchased last year through Heart for the House. Um, And by purchase, I mean that we were able to put the down payment on. We didn't actually pay it off last year, Um, but that we were actually able to buy that. And we believe this year, uh, one of the things in building a healthy local church that we're meant to do is to actually start renovations. And again, start being the keyword, because again, our giving this year won't cover it. We, We never expected it would. Um, but actually start the renovations and start stewarding that even better than we have previously. Yeah, so there's a lot of great things coming out of this heart for the house, but of course I'm sure everyone is wondering yes. what was given last week? Like what was given at Heart for the House this year? Yeah, so listen, one and, and you're gonna see the number and you'll be blown away for sure. Um one thing I just wanna make mention before we announce the number is last year we had mentioned we were we were, our church had given four hundred thirty thousand uh, dollars in one weekend, which is absolutely phenomenal. And uh, one of the things that we um, wanted to point out, I think we did during the series, is that one of those donations was a hundred thousand dollar donation. And we just want to thank once again, broadly speaking, to the people that did that. Um, but um, this year, and I just want to say that because my expectations on this year were not low. I, I wasn't. I wasn't expecting something low. Um, but it wasn't what came in this year because I was like, listen, that, that doesn't, and it didn't happen this year. There was no $100,000 donation. Let me pull up the number. Any get, I'm just kidding. I, I got it. Like, just everybody shout out your number. No. I got it. I know it. Oh, you know, you know the number. Heart. Oh, okay. Soul. You told me to bring this up just in case. Okay. That Do you know right down to the That was for you. Do you know that right down to the scent? I know it right down to the All right. Drum roll, please. I don't know how you can do that because there's no drums on the stage this morning. Oh, ba yeah, there we yeah go. that's All nice. Right, that's, that's nice. All right. All right. Okay. So this between, year, between pledges and what was given on last Sunday, we brought in four hundred and eighteen thousand yeah. dollars. Not four ninety four oh six. That changed since I uh, since I memorized it. That's different. Yeah, that's pretty. I would have botched that. Yeah, Isn't that, that amazing? Four hundred eighteen thousand dollars, four hundred ninety-four. I think that that number is higher, isn't it, on our thing? It's higher there, yeah. It's or no, there. no, no. This is higher. It's here. higher there. I don't know. By five hundred dollars. I don't know. Higher where, by five hundred dollars. Who took the five hundred dollars? Yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> That's not how this works. It's just absolutely yeah. incredible. Yeah, it's just phenomenal. Incredible. The thing that we want to thank you guys for is 
Um, not every year are we going to get a $100,000 or more donation. In fact, this year, what we saw across our giving is that there was, a, there, was a more, there was a higher amount of people giving more this year than ever before. We also had more individuals giving than ever before in our Heart for the House. And these are just markers as pastors that we look at and we go, this is just like, this shows extreme health. Um, in addition, there was, there was already two people today that were like, oh, we missed last week, we're still giving this week. And so we just want to remind you that if you haven't given, it's not like Heart for the House is closed. We're not going to say no to you giving to Heart for the House. Yeah. But what this does mean is that we get to start moving forward with a lot of the things that we talked about. Um, if you guys were wondering what I was thinking, I thought we were going to maybe bring in 350000 So this blows my mind. And uh, we're really thankful. One of the stories that came out of Heart for the House, though, that was really touching is somebody on their pledge card not only pledged to give, but also pledged to just um, start tithing on all of their giving. And uh, this past week, tithe and made a little note to our finance team, and all this is anonymous because I don't know who this is, but made a note to our finance team. This is my 10% from my regular giving. I'm just saying this to help me keep accountable. And here's the thing. Heart for the House is not a time for those of us that don't give to only give once throughout the year. We hope that it is a spark that all of us can start trusting God with our finances all throughout the year. So with all that said, last year, or last year, last week, we thank God that we had money to give it all. But this week as pastors, we just want to thank all of you for contributing so sacrificially um, to the vision that God has given us here at Slate Church. And we're really excited to start moving forward with some of the things that we've been talking about. And um, guys, the best days are ahead. I think, isn't this amazing? I think this is, this is crazy. Are you speaking now? I'm speaking now. Is this what we transitioned into? I'll bring it up. All right, guys. See you later. (laughs) Amazing. Well, I think it's just incredible that we get to come out of that season. We get to head into another series here. We're not talking about money today uh, outside of that announcement, which is also not necessarily a bad thing. Oh, we put it there so I wouldn't trip. Are you switching it? Oh, it's just not even. This is what ha- this is a look into our living room right now. I, th- I feel like the carpet's good. No, just a second. I'm just gonna move it. Now it's uneven. I gotta say. Oh, I see. That's better. Thank you. Just taking care. Hello, hello. Oh goodness. Well, happy Mother's Day, guys. Nate has already said it, but I want to extend that as well. And I actually want to take just a minute at the start before we jump into this new series, before we jump into what's coming up next and all of these different pieces, I wanted to take a moment just to acknowledge uh, Mother's Day. You guys are good. You guys can you guys can be done. Thanks, guys. Our transitions are super smooth this morning. On it. I just wanted to acknowledge the moms in the room and say happy Mother's Day. And listen, if you are just, yes, seriously, if you have forgotten and it's just dawning on you that it is Mother's Day, there is still time. It is nine in the morning. It does not seem at all yet that you have forgotten. I am just here to remind you so that you can make that phone call, pick up that card, get those flowers, whatever that looks like, and just be thankful that you didn't show up to the uh, evening service today because if you would have forgotten and you showed up at the evening service and got that reminder, then you're in trouble, all right? So be glad that you came early to church today. But, you know, if, if you're a mom, I want to say thank you. I want to acknowledge you. I want to let you know that you are seen in the midst of whatever 
stage of motherhood you are in, I really had no idea until I became a mom just the weight that that identity shift bears. Like, it's a, it's a big deal, motherhood. And it's a lot of sacrifice. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of thought. It's a lot of effort. And I think that because it's such a common thing to see moms everywhere, right? Everyone has a mom or has had a mom, that we sometimes forget how significant this actually is. And so I, I know that Mother's Day, and I want to acknowledge Mother's Day can be both great and it can actually be really challenging in some ways, right? On one hand, we can look in one direction and, and, and see comfort in motherhood and, and that we maybe have our own moms and we can celebrate them and our role as a mom, maybe mother figures in our lives. This is all like a positive thing that we can, we can celebrate this morning. But then on another hand, we can look maybe to another portion of our lives and Mother's Day actually holds some challenge and difficulty and stress and sadness and we can feel the pain of it today for moms that maybe we've had to say goodbye to or babies that never had the chance to call us mom and the loss there for strained relationships that we've had a hard time holding actually hope for I mean this is a complicated thing as much as Mother's Day is simple in many ways of just going okay you know get a card have some flowers say happy Mother's Day it can also be complicated and I think that this just is motherhood in general, is it's a little bit complicated um, when we look at it. It's a journey of becoming and raising and letting go and staying with and comforting and training and growing and surrendering, and not just to our children, but actually to ourselves. And the feminine quality of motherhood, I think, is one to be celebrated. And I look around society today, and it seems that in many ways we want to dampen this. And I think it's significant that we take the time at church today to celebrate this. The feminine quality of motherhood, whether you hope to have children at some point, maybe you're in the thick of raising a young family and you're just wondering if you will ever sleep again or if you're going to be able to find regular childcare. Maybe you're in the stage where you're waiting for your teenager to get home so you can actually go to sleep and make sure that they are safe. Maybe you've added a well-deserved grand to your title and become a grandmother. But this journey is one that doesn't end, and it's one that we really need to support one another in. Whether you are a mother in this place, even if you are a man or a woman in this place, we need the support from one another. So to all the moms today, I say thank you. To my mom today, where are you? I say thank you. I love you so much. We honor all of you today, the extreme sacrifices that you've made for your family and for your children the acknowledgement that God sees you in every piece of this, the reality that you are raising the next generation that is going to directly affect the state of this world. And so it's a big calling and a big thing to carry, but God is with you in the highs and the lows of it. So happy Mother's Day to you. We can put our hands together one more time. I always give Brandon the biggest challenge because I both care deeply about Mother's Day and being celebrated, and I also don't care at all. And so he always has this, like, what does she want? Like, what is that? He did a great job this morning. Breakfast in bed. Uh, the kids came in with cards, smoothie, life cereal, no milk in it because it could have gotten spilled up the stairs. And the best part of it is that I'd already been up for probably two hours, and I went back in after getting totally ready, put on my house coat, jumped back into bed, and let the kids think that they woke me up. And it was, uh, it was wonderful. Anyways, let's jump into our text this morning. We are going into a series called Meta Narrative. We're going to be reading out of Genesis 1 right at the very start of our Bible 
And I'm going to read for you, I'm just going to read really the first uh, few verses here, and then we're going to break it down further, but I won't read the whole, the whole part just for time's sake. So Genesis 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And we see this pattern continue, and as I said, we'll break down this creation process as we go through um, our service today. And this morning, but at the end in verse 31, it says, God saw all that he made after he spent this time creating. He saw all that he made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning on the sixth day. Why don't we pray and we'll jump in a little bit further this morning. God, I thank you that we can gather here today. I thank you that we can celebrate moms. I thank you that we can read in your word that just is so intricate and so deep and so layered. And I thank you that we get to open it up and look into it more this morning. We praise you for what came in last week at Heart for the House and the things that you're going to do through it. In your name, amen. Amen. So as I said, we're in this, we're in this series called Meta Narrative, and I wonder if you've ever come to scripture and have felt a little bit confused. I know I have, right? It's this complex book that has all of these different books within it, all of these different types of literature, all of these different chapters, contents, time periods, things going on. It can feel a little bit confusing when we open up our Bible and try to understand where we should start with this, what we should be reading, what's going on. There's 66 different books in this one book, and it was compiled over a period of time, and it's a little bit confusing, You know, we talk about the first half of the Bible, the Old Testament, as looking forward to Jesus coming to earth. And then we talk about the second half of the Bible, the New Testament, as looking back on what Jesus did here on earth that changed everything for us. But once you start getting into it and breaking that down a little bit, it's harder to see in those individual chapters and verses and storylines that are within Scripture. You can study this your entire life and still not get to the bottom of it, and yet you can also approach Scripture and receive something from the Holy Spirit just by reading a couple of words. It's a wild text that we have. It is alive and active, and yet it's easy for us to get a bit confused not quite know how it all fits together and wonder what to do with it. Sometimes we can become even avoidant of the parts that don't make sense. Anyone guilty of this, right? We're like, I'm just going to stay out of those those, uh, few short books at the end of the Old Testament because it just seems confusing to me. And we just kind of gravitate towards the things that make us feel good. I swear my verse of the day is like, do not worry about anything. Like, seven times a month. Like, it's just like, this feels more comfortable. Like, I'll feel encouraged by that. Like, I, I will just feel good reading this, and we just go to scripture and maybe look for something quick, just get a little soundbite and feel good. And yet, we really have to understand the meta narrative of scripture. I'm going to break this down in a moment. If we're going to actually understand the full significance of our faith, as Christians, it's up to us to actually approach scripture in a way that is humble, in a way that is ready and eager to learn and to ask questions and to grow in this. So we're hoping that this series gives you more of a picture of the grand story of scripture so that as Christians, we can be uh, better fu- or full of more knowledge when it comes to reading the word. 
So basically, meta-narrative is just that. It's taking a look at the whole picture, the narrative that spans across all of these different books, all of these different texts and storylines within Scripture. So there's, there's so many different pieces of it. There's so many different parts. But if we look and trace a thread throughout the entire Bible, what we see is this overarching storyline that actually all comes together in this culmination of this story between God and his creation. And it's broken into four sections. The creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. So when we look at scripture, all of the different components of scripture are pointing towards these four pieces in the meta narrative that we can learn from, that we can see, that we can understand. And this helps us as kind of a guidepost as we're looking at the Bible. And we're going to be taking time throughout this series to go through each of those topics, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. So today we are actually starting out with creation, but I wanted to give just a quick overview of this meta narrative of scripture so that we had a starting place of where we're going to be going each week. We see in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created. This creation portion of the meta narrative is right at the beginning of our Bibles. And actually, the fall is right at the beginning of our Bibles as well. And then we see this long outplaying over hundreds and thousands of years in order to fully understand what comes next within redemption and then restoration, which we are still fully awaiting. But what we see is we see the significance of God creating. He works in the, in the chaos and the darkness and the disorganization, and he turns it into order, beauty, and fullness. Then he takes humanity man and woman, and puts them ruling over creation. They are made in the image of God. It's this beautiful picture that God is working out of. He elevates humanity above the rest of creation. And one commentator talks about humanity as kind of harnessing the God-given potential of creation to continue to make it even more beautiful. This is part of our purpose here on earth. And then humans are given this choice because without choice, relationship is not relationship. Right? There's just this power struggle that takes place. And humans are given the choice to either choose God and live in this freedom and live in this incredible relationship or to choose power for themselves. And what we see with this knowledge of good and evil is that they make the wrong choice and sin enters into the picture. The fall takes place. And right away, God sets in motion this plan of redemption. Because he wants us to be in relationship with him. He uses Abraham and Sarah and their family and the Israelites. They become a nation to bring about Jesus. But it is not all smooth sailing. And this is what we see through basically the rest of the Old Testament is this process of redemption taking place. Leaders continue to choose their own power over and over and over again, which brings them to a place of captivity. And they've got to turn to God. They need to surrender to him but they just can't seem to do it. This is what we see all throughout the Old Testament. It can become frustrating. We're like, really? Again? Like, you just can't seem to get it. And then the Old Testament ends, and there's a few hundred years there, and we enter into the New Testament, and this is where Jesus enters onto the scene. And he is the only one, fully God and fully man, who gets to resist this temptation that humanity has struggled with since the dawn of time. And he dies and he rises again for our brokenness and our sin. This is the redemption of Christ. And then we are given another choice as humanity. We can look to the cross and make a choice if we're going to accept Jesus or not. It's, I I love the parallels between the tree and the 
Garden of Eden and having to look there in the tree of the cross and looking there and once again making a choice. Are we going to choose God or choose ourselves and the sinfulness and the brokenness? And this is the same question for all of us today. We still stand facing that tree, that cross that Jesus died on and that he rose again, defeating death and get to make that choice. Right now, what we live in is what theologians call the already but not yet era of this meta-narrative, of this scripture. And so Jesus has paid the price, but we are not yet living in a time where Jesus has returned for complete restoration. That's why we still live in a broken world. That's why we still see sin. That's why we still see, but Jesus is coming again. And this is the meta-narrative of scripture. That's the overview. So if you've ever felt confused about scripture, there is the overview of where we're at, what's happened, what's going on, and the good news of Jesus all wrapped into just a couple of minutes. And we're going to take the rest of the existence of us as a church to keep unpacking it, if that sounds okay. You know, Brandon and I have been married for almost 11 years, 11 years in August, and um, we have lived in six different places over that time since we've been married. And the house that we're in now is uh, the longest place that we have lived continuously, which is, which is kind of wild, pretty cool, but we've done a lot of moving in our time. And we, don't, we have never had the luxury of moving, uh, hiring movers to come and do that work for us. So we have a lot of friends who have moved us many times. Times. I think it was, um, I'm just remembering this right now, I think it was Tim who was up here playing guitar who last time turned to Brandon and said, this is the last time, next time you need to hire movers, like I'm done, <laughs> the pizza is not worth it. Anyways, don't call on Tim to move you. But I always remember moving into these, these houses or apartments or different places and it would just really be a blank slate. If you've ever moved into a new spot, you get the key, you walk in and it's just empty. And you've got to do the work now of moving things in and filling it and bringing life into that space so that you can actually live in it and enjoy it. And if you walk into our house after we've now brought in furniture and painted the walls and changed the decor and brought in the appliances and all the little knickknacks that come uh, with us as people, right? You would walk in and you would see a home that's been really created and cultivated by Brandon and myself. And I will also put the caveat as well as four children who have their own ideas of what it looks like. This morning I walked in the kitchen, Lucy just has a marker on the floor going back and forth. She's coloring in the, in the gaps. But what we see in the beginning of scripture is God taking this blank space, this void, this darkness, this chaos, and he starts to create out of nothing. And we can all agree that an empty house doesn't really have order. It doesn't have much ability to live in it. And in a similar way, God takes a world that is formless and empty in a pre-creation state And he breathes life into it. And over the next six days, we see this creation story come to pass. And each day takes care of this problem of this pre-creation state, this chaos, this void, this emptiness, where there was no order and no purpose. In days one to three, we see that God creates these different realms, right? He creates and forms the structure. On day one, he, he puts in this order of light, and he establishes time. In day two, he creates 
the sky. In day three, he creates land. And then we see this bonus of adding vegetation to that. You see, the, the way that Genesis, Genesis was written is really kind of orderly and symmetrical. And it's an interesting piece talking about the creation story. And there's so much there from a literary perspective when we see the breakdown of how it was written. Because then we see this kind of mimicked in the next three days. So we've got time, we've got sky, we've got sea, we've got land. It's all ordered. And then in days four to six, God fills this empty space. He creates fullness. In day four, the sun, the moon, the stars, God's reflecting on his own light. In day five, there's creatures in the water, there's creatures in the sky. Day six, out of the land comes these living creatures. And then we see this bonus on day six where he creates human beings. He creates mankind. And humans are seen as very good. And men and women are representative of the creator, of God. He is now putting his image into his creation. On the seventh day, God rests in his creation with his people. And it is very good. Now, of course, there's much debate about the creation story, right? When we look back historically and we try to understand it, was it literal days, 24-hour days? Were these days representative of billions of years each? And the goal of Scripture is not to be a science textbook. Like, that's not the goal when we look at Scripture. That was not the original intention to the original audience. And so it, we have to make sure that we are, we are doing a good job to look at Scripture with integrity and actually understanding it. We also have to recognize that this is not the only creation story that exists. Like when we look around and we look at creation stories during this time, there are many that we discuss both today and that were, were regarded at that time as well. There's, of course, the Big Bang that we hear, and there's many pagan stories. There's Greek mythology. There's uh, creation stories that come out of Egyptian texts and Japanese and Chinese culture. And there's, there's just kind of creation stories all over the place. And sometimes it would be easy to look and go, well, this is just kind of the Hebrew creation story, right? We can just kind of categorize this one a little bit differently. But this is, there is a, a key difference with this creation story in comparison to others. Because in a lot of these stories... There was something created in order to create. And then we have to just keep going backwards, right? We just have to keep going, well, who created that create, created person or being to be able to create? And we, we can't seem to get to the end of a lot of these creation stories. And yet, with this creation story within Scripture, we see that God is not created. And this is a key difference because he has always existed. It was out of this pre-creation pre state that God still was there in relationship, working as God the Father, God the Son, and the God the Holy Spirit. So we have to look to the origin, and we can see that God has never not existed. This, this can kind of throw our brains for a loop if we, if we think about it too long. But it is significant for us when we look at this creation story and go, ah, it actually seems quite valid. And at the end of the day, a significant question that we need to ask around creation is why is it important that God created it all? Like, what is the significance here? Why does it matter whether everything just happened by chance or it was ordered by a living God? Like, can't we just accept that we don't know and that's fine and, you know, like, just leave it at that? Why does it matter that we were actually created, that it wasn't just by chance and that God is in control of all of it? Well, I think to answer some of this, we need to look at how and why he created. And the first piece here is that he created on purpose. 
God didn't just wake up one day, so to speak, and go, what do I feel like doing today? He created on purpose. When we look at creation and see that God created everything, we see him doing it on purpose. We see him doing it with intent. We see that he looks and he goes, what needs to happen here? The spirit is hovering over the darkness. And this, is, this changes how we view and engage with our lives. We can't recognize a God that creates on purpose and then say that our lives have no purpose. You were created on purpose. When God looks and says it is very good, we have to recognize that we can't put our humanity onto God. Because God is both present in that moment, but he is also present across all of time. God stands outside of time. He created time. He stands outside of time. And so when he is saying it is very good, it is very good for all of eternity. He is aware of who we are and what comes out of this. You were created on purpose with purpose. And as humans, we were created in God's very own image. We bear the image of God, of the universe. It's not by chance. It's not random. It's not that the universe somehow made you. That doesn't even make sense, right? When I hear people saying, oh, the universe just aligned the stars and then I had this opportunity. What are we talking about? It doesn't make any sense. How can the universe affect us? No, a God that stands outside of time can affect and determine. We were given the purpose, because sometimes we can hear this and go, well, what's it, what is my purpose? Like, this freaks me out a little bit. I don't know. What if I get this wrong? What was the purpose that God created humans for? This is before the fall, when things were in right order. And he sa- it says, we are created with purpose to be fruitful and to multiply, to rule over the rest of creation, and basically to live in God's glory. That sounds pretty good. Why'd you screw it up, Adam and Eve, Right? We're created to be fruitful and multiply, to rule over the rest of creation, to live in God's glory. This is our purpose. This is why God created us to be in relationship and to be able to enjoy his creation. The second thing is that he created with order. God did not make this world chaotic. It went from chaos to order to sin coming in to bring more chaos. When we look at God's perfect creation, there is order to it, there is sense to it, there are layers to it that are significant. It's not just wild, but every piece of creation is so intricate, and it works together so incredibly well. It's amazing what God did out of himself to create. There's this intricate nature of human beings. If we just look at human beings, there is such an intricate nature here. Yesterday, as I was sitting on the couch, Claire came up to me randomly and said, mommy, I have bones in my body. I'm like, yes, honey, you do. You do have bones in, in, in your body. And then she goes, and I have blood in my body. And she starts like poking at her cheek and she's like, do I have blood in my stomach? I'm like, babe, I don't know. Like we need to call somebody. I don't know the answer. We're about to get past my knowledge of how our bodies work, right? But she's amazed by this. And when we start to think about it, even as we talk about Mother's Day today, when we think of a baby forming inside of a womb and then being born, and it's incredible what God did and how he created and the mindfulness that he put in place and the order that he put in place. There is no limit. There is no space that we reach that we have a full understanding of the order that God made and how it works together. God is a God of order, infinitely creative and full of order. It's incredible. But ultimately, why did he create? 
Why did he create the world? Why did he? For his glory. That is why God created. And this is not a selfish or egotistical need. This is a gift. God is not a creator that needs us, his created beings, to acknowledge his glory or remind him of how great he is because, he, because of some insecurity on his part. That's not what we're talking about here. When we put our human mind and, again, our human qualities on God and somehow go, well, that's kind of odd, like for his glory, does that make God kind of this, uh, you know, power-hungry uh, being that, that just wants his creation to praise and worship him? That's not what we're talking about here. God is not in deficit of something that somehow we need to provide for him. When we think this way, we place God in a low human place. We need to recognize God's vastness, his greatness, his power on display. In Romans 1.20, it says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and the divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuses. This is a good God. And in all of his glory, he created so that we could actually take part in it, so that we could be covered by it, so that we can be in relationship with him and experience his glory. He's saying this is so good that others need to experience it. And we could be in perfect relationship with him. A rough metaphor of this as I was trying to bring it into just understanding a really rough metaphor is when a couple decides to have children, to create babies, so to speak. We don't do this so that in, in, a, in a right world, in a right order, we don't do this so that they can serve us, so that somehow they can say, oh, you're so great, mom, or you're so great. Dad. That's not the purpose of bringing kids into this world. The purpose, oftentimes in a right way, is to expand relationship, to exist in family, to allow them to take part in our world and be part of it. And we get to provide for them and we get to cover them and give them this opportunity. This hardly touches the surface of the glory that we actually get to be under and experience with God. He created for his glory because he is creative. We serve a God who is so great, so good, so glorious that he created out of this place an incredible world and then set us above it as humans to be part of it so that we could experience this incredible glory free of sin and brokenness, fully whole and fully healthy. But again, what is this relationship without choice. And unfortunately, when we keep the story going, we actually make the wrong one. But we're going to leave that one for next week and for Nate to deal with that. Why don't we stand up this morning? And worship team, you can come back and join me here. We're going to take a couple of minutes to pray, but why don't with just eyes closed here today, I'm going to read out of Psalm chapter 8. And I just want you to Hear these words and think about this good God who created in such a vast and expansive way and that we actually get to be part of this. The psalmist writes, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. 
You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Praise God. How majestic is your name in all the earth. You know, as we come into a place like this today, and we just hear this story of creation and this meta-narrative that spans across the entirety of Scripture and really informs our faith and who Jesus is. It gives us an idea of how things ought to be, how God wanted things to be, and how as humanity we chose something other than Him. And we continue to make that choice over and over again, right, as we choose sinfulness. But thank God that He sent Jesus in this plan of redemption that he would die and rise again so that we can actually be free from this sin, so that we can be back in proper relationship with God, so that we can find ourselves on the right side of this story, so to speak. You know, every single week at church, we give this opportunity that if you haven't made that decision, if you're looking at the cross, so to speak, today, and you're going, I keep choosing myself, and I keep choosing power, and I keep choosing these things that are leading me nowhere, and I need to make a different choice, I just want to give you an opportunity to do that. So with every head bowed and eyes closed, as you're thinking through this this story of Scripture, if you're here today and you're going, I just want to make that decision. As Brandon said earlier, you know, all it is is just professing that you believe in who God is. You believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead to cover your sins and just accepting him. So if that's you today and you want to be included in this prayer, I'm not going to point you out or anything like that. Would you just raise a hand up? I just want to pray for you today. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for anyone making that decision here today. I thank you that you did not leave us stranded on the other side of sin and brokenness, but that Jesus, you came and died and rose again so that we could choose you and have relationship with you. So I pray that you would just come into our hearts today as we make that choice. We love you. We thank you. Forgive us of our sin. In your name, amen. Amen. It's good news. It's great news. You know, I'm going to pray and then we're going to go back into just a quick song of worship here to close. But I just want to pray and thank God for what he did. He didn't have to create and yet he did. And we get to be image bearers of him and hold on to that as we go on to this week. So God, I thank you that you would, that you would in all of your glory create this world, that there would be a chance in it, that you gave us choice, that there would be brokenness and conflict and sin. And you gave us the choice so that we could actually have relationship with you. I can only imagine what that was like when we chose the wrong thing. But God, I thank you that we get to enjoy this creation. That it proclaims your majesty. That we don't have to look too far to see you. That we can see you in one another as image bearers. As we are in relationship, God, with each other. I thank you that we get to turn back to you. That Jesus came. And that we get to enjoy the freedom that you bring through that. So God, I pray as we go about our weeks that our eyes will be open to your creation that we would stare a little bit longer into the sky, that we would notice the stars, that we would see the land around us, that we would see you in each other. And God, I pray that we would not take it for granted, but that we would turn and give you glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray.
Thanks again for listening to our Sunday podcast. To hear more messages like these, be sure to share and subscribe. We're thankful for all that God is doing in our church right now. We would love to have you be a part of what is going on. You can connect with us by filling out a connect card online at slatechurch.com. And hey, stay tuned for more content coming soon.